Hey y'all, welcome back to a Thursday, July 7th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. We got a jam, jam-packed show for you guys today on a Thursday, three-parter uh, right here on the Chase Thomas Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts so that you don't miss any of our future episodes or any of today's episodes. Three parts, three different episodes coming up here today on the program. Uh, to kick things off, we got Sean Hyken of uh, formerly of Bleacher Report, but now Rose Garden Report, a very good uh, Portland Trailblazers site that you should go subscribe to if you've not already done so and check out Sean's work veteran on the NBA front. So uh, it was great to have Sean on, talk about the Blazers, Damian Lillard, uh, Jeremy Grant, uh, Anthony Simons, uh, the Shade and Sharp pick, and just kind of where uh, Portland's going uh, heading into next year and the next couple years, the sale potentially. Uh, in Portland, talk about the Bulls, bringing back Levine, and just having a bunch of veteran depth and how that uh, works with Patrick Williams and why it's such a big year for him in Chicago and what to make of the Bulls in the East. And then a little KD, uh, why uh, Toronto and uh, New Orleans still make the most sense. So uh, if we had to guess, just why uh, it might come down to those two teams and not Phoenix. And Miami is the most likely options if indeed Kevin Durant is moved uh, this summer. So all that coming up here to kick things off here on a Thursday. Thank you guys for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can uh, listen on your preferred podcast player. But guess what? You can also watch us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe, all kinds of great video content and full episodes if you'd prefer to watch the program right there for you. Uh, this is a daily show every single day new uh sports material new sports content here on this feed national stuff all across the board uh so there you go different and it's uh no one else is doing it and you know we're enjoying it we're having fun as the summer rolls along big july ahead uh as we start here on a 7th the 7th of july and talk all things nba to kick things off here with sean uh uncle darren let's go Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. Old friend Sean Hyken. Sean, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing all right, Chase. It's good to talk to you again. Good to be here. It's our first video show since I pivoted to video. You were on the you were on the Skype days where I was the last guy. I think we even talked off air. We were like, are you doing the video thing? Are you like because Sean's really in like if I have a media question or anything like that or where things are going, Sean is the guy to go to. Sean uh, <laughs> knows all about this kind of stuff. And I was a I was a big holdout because um, it, it was just one of those things where I was like, you know, I understand, but I don't want to add that to my plate. I don't want to add that other variable because it's YouTube. It's uh, it's just adding more content and adding more verticals and just doing more stuff. And this is a it's a one man operation right now. So uh, when you when you consider that and just the the I was probably also nervous about like how I would be on camera every day. Like, do I speak differently uh, on the phone versus a video? Like that 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 was a that was a fear of mine. Um, but you know, you get reps in, and then it's like. Uh, six months later you're like oh what was i afraid of it's fine that's all the tv stuff or uh, this isn't tv technically but yeah. this, that that's all the on-camera stuff is is reps like mm-hmm. i go back i i have never had a job where my job is to be on tv but i've done enough 
like appearances on different shows and different on camera stuff. I'm sure I was terrible the first like couple of times I did it, but it's like what, what my buddy Nick Friedell, who has been mm-hmm. at ESPN for a long time and was one of the people who was like giving me advice when I first started, like being a guest on some of these TV shows, he said, all you have to do is like, you do it the first time you're going to be terrible. The second time you do it, it's going to be a little bit better than the first time. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you do it is going to be a little bit better than the time before that. And it's just, it's just, it's just like with anything, you have to just get reps and get experience doing it. Now I feel totally comfortable on camera to a degree that I never did before. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you're also comfortable covering uh, the Portland trailblazers, which you are now doing full time. I love it. Uh, more blogs as you and I, we grew up and made our bones in the ESPN true Hoop network. And Something that I very much miss every day is the True Hoop Network and all the great blogs and all the great articles that are just gone. And I, I miss reading, at, whether it's Clipper Blog, whoever, Hawks Hoop, shout out to the OGs there. But I mean, there were just so many different blogs. I think we're around the same age that we just read in college and got us into this world anyway. I'm a paroxysm guy. That's where yeah. I came from. Exactly. And I mean, like I, I was hoop speak and like Be- uh, Beckley, who's been on the pod and like yeah. those just forever ago now. But I miss it because it was it was great. And I, I just love that kind of coverage. And you just got smarter every day. I felt like I was smarter about the NBA at that time than I am now, because so much of it is just audio and uh, there's just not as much writing. And folks, guess what? This is important. Like, go subscribe to Sean's new vertical. He's covering Portland. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers, and this is good stuff because Sean's good at this, and you should support these team-focused coverage sites because a they're more plugged in, and b you're just going to get smarter analysis where you're going to learn something uh, from Sean every day at the Rose Garden Report, and you know there you go that and that's all genuine because as someone who has read Sean dating back to the hardwood paroxysm days, like it's it's good content and good content should be behind a paywall, I think. And I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I launched this about, I want to say, two weeks ago. So far, the response has been really good. I think it helps that I launched it the week of the draft. Mm-hmm. And the second day that I launched it, they traded for Jeremy Grant. And then the mm-hmm. next day was the draft. And now there have been free agencies. There's been no shortage. And then I'm also, tomorrow, I'm flying to Vegas for summer league. So we're going to have coverage from there also. So there's been a lot of stuff to write about. But I also like once we get into kind of the deeper part of the off season when there isn't news to cover every day like there is right now, uh, I'm going to try to do a lot more kind of feature stuff and deep dive stuff. And maybe I won't be writing every single day, but I'm going to try to get like two or three things out a week that I think are really good and are worth the subscription. So rosegardenreport.beehive, B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com. That's the address. That's where you can go uh, subscribe paid or free. I encourage you to subscribe for the paid uh, tier because I have some cool stuff that I put up for those people. But even just the paid, the free stuff, I think I'm doing some good stuff there too. And we got a podcast too. Same name yeah. on all the platforms. There you go. There you so there's go. the plug. Hey, I mean, it's important. Support local journalism, support journalism as a whole. And it's just... It's worth the worth a couple bucks. It's uh, it's worth it. Um, speaking of the Trailblazers, though, so this was something that came out. A lot of notes app stuff this week from from team owners. We got Jeannie Bus <laughs> putting out the notes app, and now we got Jody Allen posting a, a statement too. Very different uh, <laughs> different statements from uh, Miss Allen and Miss Bus. But um, 
now are are the blazers not being sold for a while like what is what is the latest sean is that just put that to bed for years to come like what is that now they're gonna be sold in the next yeah. eight to twelve months yeah that's okay that's I I thought it was interesting that she put that out yesterday because Mm -hmm. it wasn't even responding to anything. Like about a month ago was when the report came out that Phil Knight was preparing an offer. And that day they put out a statement saying the team wasn't for sale. Mm -hmm. And then yesterday there hasn't been any new reporting. There hasn't been any new developments, Mm -hmm. but she just put that statement out saying that the team isn't for sale. I, and I don't buy it. I know that. And the, the other part of it that I thought was interesting was the same day that the news broke of the Phil Knight offer about a, mm. five weeks ago was the day of game one of the finals, which means that that or like that same day, Adam Silver did his press conference that he always does before the first game of the finals. And he was asked about the reported offer and he went into detail about the Paul Allen trust stipulates that the team has to be sold and, that, you know, the team is going to be sold at some point and that like he kind of gave an actual answer on it, which if you know anything about Adam Silver at these press conferences, if there's something like this, he is going to no comment and he is not going to mm-hmm. give, give some off the cuff answer. So for him to actually give an answer that says the team has to be sold, that was kind of you made you go. Hmm, that's interesting. I my My belief at this point is that. The league would really like for Phil Knight to be the buyer. Hmm. I think it's going to be the Phil Knight, Alan Smolinski group that ends up buying the team. The offer was for around $2 billion. I think that Jody and Burt Cold, who's the vice chair of Vulcan, want three. I think they're going to meet in the middle around 2.5, and I think it's going to get done in like early to mid-2023. That would be my guess. Interesting. Phil Knight's got a lot on his plate right now uh, with Oregon and trying to get Oregon in the Big Ten or the pack or in the SEC. Right. And dealing with that conference realignment, because you know he's his phone's blowing up and he's having to lead that and lead the direction of where they're going. Because ultimately, it's like you invest that much money and you're so plugged into uh-huh. your university. It's like, hey, man, I got to make sure it's a, you're commanding to like you're steering two gigantic billion dollar entities uh, through very troublesome waters right now. Like Phil Knight's in a weird spot, I think, that a lot of folks nationally may not or from Portland or nationally wherever might not understand like what he's having to deal with at the moment. The Blazers stuff with him is interesting because he, for decades, all of the sports leagues, whether it's the NBA, the NFL, baseball, NHL, they have all tried every year to get him to buy a team. They mm. These leagues want, because, you know, Nike has such ties to all these leagues and they would love for Phil Knight to own a team. Mm. And he has never been interested until now. He's always said, I don't want to own a team. I'm, I just want to do Nike stuff. I want to be a booster for University of Oregon. I don't want to be a, a professional team owner. Mm. So for him to suddenly now turn around and say, I want to buy the Blazers and actually not just, oh, I might be interested in buying the team, but also here's a written offer of $2 billion that me and this Dodgers minority owner put together. Mm. I think at this point, I don't know the guy. I've never met the guy, but I think at this point, it's kind of a legacy play for him because he's in his 80s. He's 84. He's accomplished everything there is to accomplish at Nike at this point. Mm. I think this is just a legacy play for him. I think he just wants to, not that I've ever thought there was a chance that the Blazers could leave Portland because I don't think they would let the league would let that happen. And I, I just, I don't think that's a possibility, but I think he wants to buy the team to make sure that never happens. Mm. And, 
that basically he kind of won the whole Nike thing as far as like they are the dominant sports wear company and sports apparel company in the world now that he built that up. There's nothing left for him to do with that. So I think the next thing for him to do probably, you know, not to get morbid here, but on his way out is buy the Blazers and make sure they're in a good place because he cares so deeply about this state and this region of, of, of the country. But the flip side of that is like, well, what's the family situation like? We're seeing that play out in a lot of different ownership, like transitions over the last couple of years. Like we don't want to be morbid, but it's just part of this right. process for a lot of teams. You have to kind of plan for that. Like I know you got Travis Knight who he's involved in like movies, right? He's a, he's a movie guy or something. Mm-hmm. So like, how would that work? Would they, would he have a, in his contract where he would just, or in the, in the cell where it would not be something where it has to pass over and go up for sale all over again? Or is it like, do you see one of those three stepping up? And is it, is it his wife? Like what, uh, what would that look like? Well, the part of this, I think that is probably the contingency for that is that Alan Smolenisky, who is the, mm. I don't know. I, I still don't know a ton about him. I think he's a real estate guy. I think that's how mm. he made his money, but he's a, he's part of the Dodgers group. Okay. And he's 42. Yeah. So he's a lot younger than Phil Knight. I think the idea is that Phil Knight is kind of attaching his name and attaching his cloud and equity to this to push it through because the league has wanted Phil Knight to own a team for years and all the owners would love for Phil Knight to, you know, to be involved, especially, you know, with Nike being the league's apparel partner and their, mm. their uniform partner and all that kind of stuff that he would be kind of the initial face of it. And then once he is no longer in the picture that Smolenisky would kind of take over the day-to-day operations that that would be just kind of the outside guess as to how that all that would go. But he's a lot, he's literally half of Phil Knight's age. He's 42. Phil Knight is 84. So I think that's the idea there. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I, eight to 12 months. Do you think this whole group is safe like you just promoted cronin to uh the full-time gm chauncey obviously was hired last year dame's still locked in like do you think the core pieces and the core foundation both in the front office and with this roster are safe post move and that they're all involved and they know kind of where things are going i think so i think that i i think that i think that's the idea there is Mm -hmm. i mean all of these guys signed long term like joe cronin's deal is for four years as the new gm chauncey billups signed a five-year deal dame is about to sign this big extension i I suppose he could always be traded at some point but that's not Mm. something that they're actively looking to do or that he wants or or anything like that so i don't see that happening anytime soon so like theoretically that could happen but all of these guys are kind of locked into long-term money and i just i know that you know phil knight has a ton of money and the uh the you know the Do- a guy who owns you know who's part of the Dodgers group that you know that that ownership group has never been shy about spending money but I don't think these folks are going to buy a team to just immediately fire a bunch of people and then have to pay them you saw what just happened with uh the with Neil Olshay the previous general manager mm-hmm. where the reason that it took so long for them to fire him with they had to go through that whole investigation was mm. they had to find cause so that they would have to, so that they would be able to fire him and not actually have to pay out his contract. So I would not expect even if the team gets sold, obviously there's always the thought that you know someone buys a team and they want to make a splash and bring in their own people, but I would guess that on the basketball ops side and the coaching side not too much would change if if this transition were to happen soon. 
Okay. Um, does this change anything about the the team in the short term for the next eight to twelve months? Then I don't think so. It okay. seems like everything is pretty much status quo. Everybody's happy with you know the Chauncey, you know where he where he stands. Uh, Dame uh, is very uh, you know obviously Jeremy Grant is one of his close friends from the uh, the Olympics, and like he he's mm. he's happy with that acquisition and with. Uh, the Gary Payton signing, they have a connection from Oakland and, and, you know, Gary Payton's dad is uh, somebody who's been a mentor to Dame. So Hmm. I think everybody is, everybody right now, I think is pretty happy with where things are at. So the picture that Dame posted on his Instagram of him and KD and, and Portland uniforms, is that just uh, Dame being Dame and just being funny is there? Do you think they actually? Because they're not a team that's popped up yet in the KD rumors. Is that is that real that they would actually try? And with everything else going on, is that something that they would entertain? Do they have anything that would interest Portland or Brooklyn in that regard? Well, as of now, they literally can't. Yeah, because they're hard capped. They mm-hmm. use they use more than the taxpayer mid level on Gary Payton. They are hard capped. They're only like a couple. They're like three, four million below the hard cap right now with this news that came out today. They're going to waive Eric Bledsoe, which is like three, you know, which takes off a lot of that guaranteed money. They literally could not put together a trade for Kevin Durant financially if they wanted to. Like, Hmm. I I think under normal circumstances, obviously, they would call. They would try. I don't think they have anything that really would interest Brooklyn, Hmm. but they literally cannot right now. Like they don't, they don't have the legal financial ability to do it. Do you, when you look at what they've done this summer, like obviously, like you said, they just wave Bledsoe, but they pay Nurkic. Uh, they draft Shaden Sharp. Uh, they trade for, or, uh, they trade for Jeremy Grant. Like, what do you, what do you make of their moves this summer and the way they have prioritized both kind of, it's not a rebuild. It's the retooling where it's like, we're going to take the high upside score, Shaden Sharp, uh, we lock in Anthony Simons as well. Um, does it does it seem like the best strategy to try and bring in the vets like Grant who can play and help win now? Um, when you did just move McCollum and then you bring it, like it's just kind of, a, no one's really building like Portland to me. Like Portland is just a different team altogether and they're a hard team to get a read on right now. Well, their roster is a lot different now than it was with the, when when they had CJ because mm-hmm. at the time I mean you I think I think the I think the thinking here is they re-signed Simons he's probably making I I don't know the exact number of the guarantee or whatever but he's making mm. around twenty five million a year that's still ten million a year less than CJ was making CJ was making max money literally so yeah. you do have you do still have the two high scoring guards who are not great defenders but they're taking up less of the cap now. And everybody else in the rotation, whether you look at Jeremy Grant, who they just traded for, Gary Payton, who they just signed, uh, Nasir Little, who when he's healthy has shown some good defensive instincts, Josh Mm -hmm. Hart, good defender, Justice Winslow, good defender. Everybody else in the rotation is a two-way player. Mm -hmm. They have surrounded those guys with guys that make a lot more sense than ever did under the previous GM where they were just kind of doubling down on this Dame CJ thing is it, and we're just not going to even worry about anything else. And this is, this is, I mean, I think the roster, I, I think there's still a guy away from being in the 
upper group of Western Conference contenders. I don't think they're at that point, but I think that they are closer now than they were the last couple of years where their team was basically just Dame and and pieces. I think I think Jeremy Grant and Gary Payton the second are the two best players that they have ever signed or traded for during Dame's career. Hmm. I mean, go back through the last 10 years and tell me, I mean, maybe Nurkic, but at the time Nurkic was kind of a gamble and he was also somebody yeah. that like they traded for because they got a first round pick with him. And then he ended up being good. Like they have not done this. These are the two biggest, you know, ac- outside acquisitions that they have made during Dame's career. So I think I would I would say the offseason that they've had so far has been a solid like B to B plus. They made the upgrades. I'm interested to see how the Shade and Sharp thing works out. I know that Dame would have preferred if they had met Toronto's asking price on OG Ananobi or hmm. Atlanta's asking price on John Collins and really just gone all in on we're only going to go after win now, guys. This is their entire focus is building on Dame's timeline. I feel like the number seven, using the number seven pick on a guy who might be far away from actually being a contributor is sort of a hedge there by the organization. I do know that Mike Schmitz, who obviously was a longtime ESPN draft analyst and just got hired by the Blazers as, as an assistant GM a couple months ago, was very, very, very high on Shaden Sharp, and he is hmm. probably one of the people who's seen the most of him of anybody because he was at all those high school tournaments that he was playing at, and he didn't play at Kentucky, so we don't really have college film on him. But Mike Schmitz is probably one of the people who was the most informed about him as far as having actually seen him play with his own eyes. So they were, you know, they felt comfortable enough to do that. And I think that trading for Jeremy Grant the day before the draft probably empowered them to then use the draft pick on a guy who might not be ready to contribute right away because they could look at it and say, we already made one big win now move now by getting Jeremy Grant, who's somebody that Dame wanted and is somebody that's going to fit well with Dame. So now let's use this other thing and also kind of try to build for the future. I don't know how successful it's going to be, but you can see what they're trying to do. I think the Warriors have kind of convinced every other GM <laughs> that they can also do, though, we're trying to win now and build for the future thing. But usually you have to have the level of talent of either like the Warriors with Steph Clay and Draymond, and then you've also got Jordan Poole and Moody and Kaminga, or those last couple of Spurs teams where you have Duncan Parker, Ginobili when they're all older, but then you also have Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green kind of coming up. That's kind of the level of talent that you have to have and depth that you have to have in order to make that work. Dame is one of the guys on that level, but I don't know that anybody else is. I think they think Shaden Sharp is going to be that good eventually, but you know it's going to take some time to figure out whether that actually happens. That's interesting. Yeah, everyone wants to just, oh, we'll just be Golden State. We'll just do that. And it's like, you don't have literally the greatest shooter of all time, so you can't do that. (laughs) You don't have like probably the most impactful defensive player of his generation, so you can't do that. Well, it also just hasn't been smooth sailing. Like, there's a reason they were in the position to take Wiseman, and there's a reason that uh, they had a rough year this past year. Like, there is a reason. Like, the depth mm-hmm. was not there. Like, they they were spending and spending, but the depth was not there a year ago. And Jordan Poole took time. Like, Jordan mm-hmm. Poole was not in this situation even a year ago. It was Mannion. It was Nico uh, ba- backing up Steph. And it was just one of those things where, I don't know. I just, that's an interesting way of, like, going about it. But 
I'm curious if they give if Portland gives Shaden Sharp the runway. Like he is super young, and I think they deserve credit in this regard or some cachet because you know Anthony Simons could have easily been written off a couple years ago. Like he could have easily been like, all right, it's just we took a shot. And he, we took him when he was super young. He, the Bruno Caboclo type thing where he was two right. years away from being two years away, but it's just not going to happen for us. We got to cut our losses and move on. And, you know, he had a lot of bad plus minuses for a long time. He was like one of those dudes when you're not watching the Blazers, but you're looking at the box score plus minus every night. You're like, oof, that's, that's weird. And now he's just a really good player for them. And now he's someone that they paid. And I would assume have as one of their core guys with Dame. And like they expect Simons and Lillard and Nurkic, who they also just play, they just paid and Grant to just kind of function and get them back into that play in six, seven, eight, nine, ten range, and maybe six if everything goes well and they're healthy. But like I I understand that line of thinking. And then you just have Shaden Sharp sitting there because the I'm sure in the back of Cronin and Schmidt's mind is that like we might be too good next year to be in a lottery position again. So we just need to take, like, we might be out of the playoffs and we might be out of the lottery uh, for the next couple of years if we're healthy. And if Dame's back to 100%, that, like, it's not realistic to expect that. So you take a chance on a, a huge unknown and mm-hmm. Jaden Sharp. Like, it's it's a good gamble. And with Simons and with their player development in general, like Portland, I think, has been kind of underrated in this regard where you talked about like who they've acquired outside of Portland. But I mean, you can go up and down the list, even with Dame, like CJ McCollum and Dame in the same like draft, like same two guys that you drafted that no one really saw becoming superstars. And like, that was a really successful, great partnership. I mean, Wesley Matthews is a huge win for them. You go up and down the list, Batum, uh, Aldridge, you can just keep going up. And like I said, up and down the list, Nas Little is a great player for them. So I think Portland deserves the benefit of the doubt when it comes to player development and trying to navigate winning now and building for the future, because I think they are one of the better teams in building for the future. Well, the stuff that you talked about with Simons is interesting because this was the first season where he really had a featured role for a lot of the season. And some of that was Dame getting shut down pretty early into the season mm-hmm. with the ab surgery. And then some of that was CJ McCollum and Norm Powell getting traded at the deadline. His usage, I'm, I've, I've got his, I've got his advanced numbers and stuff up right now. His usage uh, last season, uh, not, not, not this past season, but the uh, 2020, 21 season, his usage was 18. Mm. This year it was 24. And so his volume of shots and stuff, so his, his volumes are so three-point attempts per game. It went up from 4.4 attempts per game the previous season to 7.8 last mm-hmm. year. His percentage went down a little bit, but it was still at 40%. So he's still, even with three over three more attempts per game and eight points more usage, he's still a 40% three-point shooter. And his overall field goal percentage actually went up and was the highest of his career. So mm-hmm. he clearly, they feel, now I'll be interested to see if they think that, you know, if, if he was just putting up numbers on a bad team. But I think the fact that his usage went up so much and his efficiency didn't really dip at all mm-hmm. is something that they're encouraged by. The comparison with the what they're doing with Sharp now is interesting, and it's, it's, it's probably a good comparison because with Simons, he was in a similar situation because mm-hmm. he had committed to Louisville, and then when all the weird, you know, the scandal stuff happened with Patino, he decommitted and decided to actually just go to IMG Academy, which is like one of those 
AAU basketball factory type of situations in Florida. Football he, too, very football. Sure, yeah. He didn't play against college competition the whole season. Mm. And he was kind of a similar quote-unquote mystery man where nobody had seen him actually play against high-level competition in a while. And so nobody knew if he was going to be good or if he was going to be ready. He And I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a different thing taking a swing on a guy like that with a 24th pick, which is what he mm-hmm. was, versus taking a guy in the top 10 versus using that pick on a guy who might be ready to play right now and be like a plug-and-play guy when you're trying to win now with Dame. So it's a little bit of a different level of risk, but they – seem to and I've been going to their summer league practices the last mm-hmm. couple of days everybody has just raved about how he's looked in practice sharp they say that he's a freak athlete they say that he's I mean he's he's a lot the thing is he's bigger than Simons was Simons is kind of the similar size to Damon CJ which is why that whole you know those three together was never going to be sustainable sharp is a six five six six guy who you know has more length and has more kind of defensive tools than any of those guys do so it's not exactly the same situation and so I think their long-term plan is for him to be their starting small forward. I don't know how quickly that's going to happen. I would expect that he probably isn't going to play that much right away just because mm-hmm. most teams, and there are certainly exceptions to this, like Scotty Barnes played a lot right away with uh, with Toronto, and there are other guys. But most of the time, teams that are trying to make the playoffs don't really have a rookie in their playoff or in their rotation mm-hmm. right away especially a guy that hasn't played competitive basketball in over a year, but maybe it's a possibility that he just wows everybody at summer league and it's impossible to keep him off the floor. We'll find out in the next week. Yeah. I mean, like I like the point about the usage and like, I think it's, it's weird to say, but it it really was a blessing in disguise. Dame taking time away. Oh uh, yeah. Well, it also just like, it allowed them to just, it, you know what, you know what I compared it to at the time, mm. the, the year that Steph Curry, a couple of years yeah. ago, broke his hand and the Blazers ba- or the, the, at the time, the Warriors basically were like, dude, don't even worry about coming back this year. We're going to be bad for one year and get a good mm-hmm. draft pick. And then we'll try to be good again next year when you're healthy. The thing about that Dame injury is that he has been dealing with that for in by his own admission, three and a half or four seasons. So as good as he's been for the last few years, basically playing at like a borderline MVP, you know, all NBA level, this has been a nagging consistent thing for him that entire time. And then this year, it just got to the point where early on in the season, the team was getting blown out and like best case scenario, if he had kept trying to play through it, they would have maybe been a play in team. Mm -hmm. And then they make the playoffs and get demolished by Phoenix or golden state in the first round. They just decided, you know what? Our ceiling is that this is just going to be a mediocre play-in team. Let's just tank for one year. Let Dame mm-hmm. get take the whole year off. Take care of this. Trade everybody at the deadline because the Dame CJ thing has kind of run its course now. And, and now, that especially once uh, Neil Olshay got fired, and the person who was just completely married to never ever trading CJ under any circumstances was no longer with the organization. It kind of gave them an opportunity to reset. And also, the other part of it is that it gave Chauncey Billups time to Mm. develop as a coach. Like you hear a lot about, you know, young players need time to develop. Well, Chauncey had never been a head coach before. And Mm. I could just tell being around him the whole year, he was absolutely miserable the first couple months of the season because the team came into the year with playoff expectations. They were getting blown out every night. He was just looking around like, what did I sign up for? But then once, you know, they shut Dame down and everybody, you know, traded everybody at the deadline, 
you could just tell that he was really enjoying not being judged on wins and losses and being able to just kind of try stuff out, try different lineups out, work with the young guys, work on player development stuff. So I think, and he would tell you this himself, he thinks he got a lot better as a coach from Hmm. the beginning of the season to the end of the season as a first-year head coach. And so this was just, they needed to take a step back and and, reset everything. And this Dame ab injury kind of re you know gave them a chance to really do that and dame told us at the you know he gave the last time he's really talked to us was he gave a press conference like a couple weeks after he had the surgery in january and he told us that drew holiday also had this surgery the same exact ab surgery that he had a number of years ago Hmm. and they actually just played together at the olympics last summer and he said that like every day during practice with the olympic team drew would see just like how much dame was struggling and he would just every day after practice, he would be saying, dude, you got to just go get this surgery and get it taken care of. You're going to be so much happier when you do it. And I think Dame, like the, the last interview that I think Dame really gave was on Draymond Green's podcast, maybe like February or March. Mm. He said that like once people see how good Dame is this coming year, they're going to realize how much he's been struggling with this thing. So I think Dame is, is people are treating this. I don't you know. Everybody's obviously going to say this whenever they come off a of surgery, but the idea, I think the thought within the organization is that Dame is going to be back to being Dame. And that once you, you know, as far as the or, the team ceiling for this year, Dame is such a floor raiser that if you have a healthy Dame playing at the Dame level, there's only so bad you can be. So I think at worst, they feel like they're a playoff team. What was it? Like, what, how do you define it? Like, you don't see many abdomen injuries that require surgery. Do we, like, what is it? Like, what was bothering him? Do you know, like, what it actually entails? Like, what's going on? Like, most guys just, you can't play through stuff like that. And teams will right. just shut you down. Like, you're just, you're not playing with pain like that for years and years. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just getting the surgery. You're figuring this out. Um, cause it's, it was just an interesting kind of thing. So when you see abdominal injury that just hasn't gone away, I, have you gotten like clarity? I know you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but like, do we, do you understand what it was? Sort of. <laughs> I asked Dame at that last mm-hmm. press conference he gave us what the actual name of the injury was. Mm-hmm. Cause all it said on the press release when he had the surgery was that he went underwent surgery for a core muscle injury. Yeah. So they didn't actually give us the name of the injury, but I, he didn't know the name of it, but from my understanding, it seems like some of the one of the muscles was just like totally detached from whatever it was attached to. And it was it was one of those injuries where I don't think it would have been made worse by playing through it. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of pain tolerance. And if you don't shut it down for a long time and get it addressed, then it's never going to go away. Hmm. So that's kind of my understanding of where it's at. I know that. There were some NFL players, I think, who have had this same injury, and it was it was kind of a similar thing where they you know they they were just so much better after they had it, and you mm-hmm. know going into before this injury, you would kind of look at Dame as a guy that's going to age pretty well, yeah, because he's because he's such a good shooter and he's such a smart you know playmaker, and and, and he's going to be able to adapt his game. But having this taken care of makes it a lot easier for the Blazers to think about are we going to build around Dame into his mid to late thirties? Is it, it, do we want to give him this contract extension where he's going to be making 45, $50 million a year into his mid thirties. Once you have this taken care of, that makes it a lot. And you thought you think this isn't going to be a lingering thing that he's just going to have to keep dealing with. That makes it a lot easier to, to make the decision to just do that. 
That's interesting. Um, and it, hey, like maybe he is back to 100%. That's a lot of pressure on Dame to be like, hey, yeah. floor raiser, we need you to be back in the playoff. Like yeah. not even play it. And like we need to be a playoff team. We need to get <laughs> revenue back. We need to get this uh, fan base energized. You might have a new owner by the time the playoffs come around. Like we want this thing moving. We want this starting off on a good foot and all that kind of stuff. We need you to play well with Jeremy Grant right away. We need you uh, to really help uh, Simons and Sharp along the way. I mean... But it's interesting. I just like that they're they're doing things in a different way. It sounds to me like Lillard's still pretty happy. Like Lillard's oh, yeah. content. He's not going anywhere. That I think if that was going to happen, mm. it would have happened last summer when mm. they lost to Denver in the first round. And then the coaching search and the coaching hire went the way that it did as far as the way that the organization handled all of that. And then some of the heat got put on Dame for that decision, even though it really all came from the former general manager. Mm. And then that same former general manager didn't really do anything to improve the roster and basically wouldn't take responsibility for anything. I think if that change hadn't happened in December, Mm. then they wouldn't have done anything at the deadline. They wouldn't have traded CJ. They would have just, Neil would have come out talking about how the only reason they weren't good was because Dame was hurt. He would have just run it back this year, made some similar just kind of around the margins changes Hmm. and just come back with the same team. And then Dame would be asking out right now. But the thing about Dame is like Dame is smart enough, I think, to know that He's never even if you you could maybe, you know, make a list of teams that if he goes there, they maybe have a better chance of winning a title or whatever. But he's never going to have what he has here with any other franchise, even if they win a title. He's just going to be another guy that left his old team and won Mm -hmm. a title. And then if they don't win wherever he goes, he's going to be a guy that left and then didn't win a title. And I think he realizes that if he stays here his whole career, maybe they win a title. They probably don't, but maybe they do. And even if they don't, they're going to retire his jersey. They're going to build a statue. He's going to be the guy here forever. He's going to make probably $500 million in NBA salary by the end of his career, plus all of his Adidas money and his other endorsements. He moved his whole family up here. I think as long as they're trying Mm-hmm. And this is where I this is where I said that I think he would have liked it a little bit better if they had traded that number seven pick and got more, another win now guy. But I think between him kind of winning the power struggle against Neil Olshay and now he's about to get this new extension. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that the Blazers could just at some point decide to trade him without him asking for it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Does he have a no trade clause? No, but I will say it's kind of interesting that he hasn't signed his extension yet. And the messaging that they're putting out there is that he wants to see what the rest of the off season looks like. That's what they're putting out there. Mm. I do know he's happy with the grant trade and the Peyton signing and that like he's, he's, he's good. Like he's going to sign the extension, I think, but if he waits, this is kind of a, a, a kind of just a CBA thing that not everybody has talked about. If he waits until August to sign the extension, he can't be traded during the season hmm. because the, the restriction wouldn't expire until after the deadline. So I kind of think he's waiting to sign it 
to protect himself from being Blake Griffin. Like, remember when the Clippers signed Blake to that yeah. big extension and did this whole thing about them being, uh, you know, him being a Clipper for life. And then three months into the contract, they trade him to Detroit when he didn't ask to be traded. That wasn't somewhere he wanted to go. He had no, like, I think, and I don't know how much of that is Neil Olshay PTSD because Neil absolutely hmm. would have just done that to him. But him, but I wonder if him putting off signing the extension is part of that is him protecting himself from being traded without wanting to be traded. Hmm. That's just, that's not sourced or anything. That's just my own educated guess and theory on kind of where he might be at. Because again, the sharp pick, not that Dame doesn't like sharp or doesn't Mm. think he'll be good, but I think he might have looked at them making that pick instead of trading it Mm. and said, are they really, is this really what the, is, are they really all in on building around me? Like it could have been if they had traded the pick for Collins or Ananobi or whoever. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work, but yeah. Yeah. Dame doesn't want to leave. Dame is not looking to get traded. Dame is, I believe he's going to sign that extension at some point. And I think that that's, you know, if it were up to him, I think he would end his career in Portland. Interesting. Um, so there you have it, folks. If Dames doesn't agree until August, that uh, might give you an inkling as to why. I like it. Um, that's interesting. Um, transitioning a little bit here. The Chicago Bulls uh, team you're also quite familiar with, uh-huh. Sean. They're kind of under the radar. Like, Levine was just... Remember a few months ago, like, everything just changes. People just forget. Their Twitter is just an, an insane place. And um zach levine was just future lakers zach levine or where's zach levine going and then it's just like quietly they tried to push portland as a team which i can yeah. tell you for a fact portland was never interested that yeah. was never a real thing i don't like that backcourt fit either with him and dame um it's been the exact same thing as him and cj maybe even worse they were know. never they were never yeah. that was never something they were looking at well then you look at it and they just they bring him back um you have they're basically running it back with the same guys they have a bunch of guards and they have to move some of them not to do the brian windhorse thing but like brian windhorse they have like nine guards in this roster now uh someone's getting moved uh they're moving somebody and maybe multiple people but i i think it's kind of interesting because they were kind of like the white Sox from last year in a lot of ways where it was kind of fool's gold where uh, similar ownership too same ownership. Ryan Store friends about yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh where the White Sox gobbled up a bunch of wins against the L Central and had a losing record against uh good teams last year. And mm-hmm. they obviously don't go far in the playoffs. And that was kind of where it was with the Bulls, where you're like, we like this team in the regular season, like we like their guys, but no one's actually going to have the stones to have them advance far and winning multiple seven game series against the likes of the Sixers, Nets, whoever, Celtics, Heat. It was just not something you felt good about. Right. And that's ultimately what happened. But they're still a really good team. They still are extremely veteran heavy. They're still a team that I don't foresee. Like They're in a weird spot because before the season, we were all like, they're probably a play-in type team. They'll be the seven or eight spot. They'll fight for it. And then they just gobble up a bunch of regular season games. And DeMar DeRozan's awesome and in the MVP conversation. And suddenly you're like, okay, well, if DeRozan's playing like that, Levine's playing like that, and they have Vooch and they have these other guys, Lonzo when he's healthy, Caruso, they're just they're playing too many quality vets where they can't, they're just gonna overperform. And now 
I'm just so curious because you bring back the huge wild card who they did not trade, who is rumored to be like the question all year long was like, okay, did they finish out this win now mode of moving Patrick Williams? Where it's like, we just can't wait. We can't wait on him. He still can be somebody, but that's the last major chess piece they have with this core and figuring out uh, what Arturis is going to do. So when you look at what they've done this summer and where they're at roster wise, do you think they're going to be better? Like, do you think the East is shaping up that the Bulls are still going to be a top four team in the regular season and they're going to gobble that up and they're they're equipped to run it back and kind of be where most folks thought they were going to be in two years that actually just happened earlier than expected? It depends entirely on health. And that's Mm. kind of what they're betting on is they were so good at the beginning of the season, especially defensively. Mm. They were just way better than anybody expected. But Lonzo Ball, who was their big besides DeRozan, he was their big offseason signing. Mm. And he was so he was such a perfect fit next to Levine when he was healthy because mm-hmm. he's he's like the big you know transition uh, playmaker and he's become a pretty good shooter and he and he plays good defense. He only played thirty five games. He had knee surgery and then uh, the, you know now I mean the surgery from what I understand the knee surgery went well and went fine. It's just he mm. also has this bone bruise on that knee that hasn't healed as quickly as they thought it would. And so they are still a little bit concerned about that, but I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I, something I was looking at because, you know, we were talking about this before I was on the air, but back a month ago or so I was in Chicago and I did a bunch of like TV and radio appearances while I was there. And so I had a bunch of bull stats to rattle off at the time Mm -hmm. when there was like a mid January, they lose Lonzo. And then they also lose Alex Caruso after the Grayson Allen play for Mm -hmm. for like several weeks. Up until that point in the season, this was like mid-January. I don't remember the exact date, but up until that point, they were the 11th best defense in the league. Mm. And then after that point where Ball and Caruso went down, and Ball obviously missed the rest of the season, and Caruso didn't come back till later. But the rest of the season, they were bottom five in defense in the league. And the only teams that are worse than them were like Portland, Houston, Oakland, like teams that were like actively trying to lose games. Mm -hmm. So... Lonzo just changes so much of what they can do defensively and the different lineups that they can run that if he is healthy for the whole season, which is not a really safe bet to make because he's only been fully healthy for a whole season, one year in his career. He's had, Mm -hmm. even going back to like the Lakers days and the new Orleans days, he's had a lot of knee issues. You can't really count on Lonzo as, Oh, well this year where he had his surgery was just a fluke and he's, you know, he's going to be healthy going forward. You can't count on that, but they kind of are counting on that. But I do think if they have him and Caruso fully healthy, they can be really good. It's just how much do you want to bet that they're actually going to be able to do that? And the Patrick Williams thing is interesting because they're still very high on him. We just don't know what he's going to be because he didn't, mm-hmm. you know, he was bad. He, he was bad for a lot of his rookie year because most rookies are bad. And then last year he just missed so much of the season because of his, his wrist injury her thumb injury, whatever he had. I forget the name, but it was, he had some injury yeah. that he missed most of last season. So they didn't mm-hmm. even really get a look at him last year. This is kind of, the, they're still high enough on him that they wouldn't trade him for Rudy Gobert. Now, I don't know if they would have beaten the offer that Minnesota eventually gave Utah for him with all those well, all those draft picks. But he was somebody that I think if they had included him in a trade, they might have been able to get something done there. They're still high enough on him because you have to remember, this was the first 
draft pick that Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas made when they took over running the Bulls, and they took him number four overall. They are still pretty invested in him. This is kind of a make-or-break year for him because they have to Mm. now see, can he actually take this leap forward and be, you know, the guy, you know, the guy for the future once Levine and DeRozan age out of, uh, you know, being the guys that they are now, can can Pat Williams be the guy that they are, uh, you know, building around now? Can he be that guy? I think it kind of has to happen this year. And by the way, do we think DeMar DeRozan is going to have another MVP caliber year at age 33 or was last year? Like, like, are we betting that what he did last year where he was incredible and he probably had the best year of his career at that age, is that going to be sustainable? I don't know. It could be, but I wouldn't bet on it. Well, it also just requires, this was something the Hawks ran into, and this was something that I told folks early on in Atlanta, was just that, like, look, Trey's awesome in a lot of different ways, but you look at the usage, and this is like the thing with DeJounte Murray when he comes in the building, where it's one thing to respect another All-Stars game. It's another thing to actually put it in practice. So there's been a lot of Hawks fans like, oh, they've been talking for weeks. They're happy. They're good. That's great. They've never played a second of basketball together. They've never shared a backcourt together. Trey's never shared a backcourt with someone whose offensive usage is what uh, DeJounte Murray was accustomed to in San Antonio. It's going to require Trey to adapt significantly. And something that he, uh, DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, guys ran into, and John Collins uh, as well, is that like when you take up so much oxygen on offense because you're really good because you're a top five offensive player in this league that developing guys around them offensively is just next to impossible so it's like we never were going to figure out what cam was and so when folks were like oh we're building the draft and we're going to do the portland or golden state thing i'm like it's just not reality trey's not that guy trey is going to gobble up too much of that usage and too much is going to revolve around him through no fault of his own. It's just who he is. And he's a really good player. And he got to the Eastern Conference Finals that way. But it comes at a cost. And that's kind of where the Hawks are at now is where they had to kind of transition out of it and come to the realization that it's going to require another all-star in the building right now to put Trey off the ball, to take some of that offensive pressure off of him. And we'll see what happens. But it's a huge unknown. Like, I have no idea. I'm excited about it because, hey, betting on two all-star guards in your backcourts in their prime, pretty good track record in the NBA. Like, you go up and down the list. It's pretty, pretty positive. DeJounte is also one of the best defensive guards in the league and Trey right. is one of the worst players in the league on that end. So having yeah. him there to kind of cover up, I'm so interested in how that's going to work out because mm-hmm. all of the analysis that's been, like, pro the Hawks side of that trade since it happened was – DeJounte is going to be able to help Trey be able to play off the ball more. And I'm just sitting there like, what about Trey Young's track record makes you think he's going to right. want to play off the ball and be willing to do that? Mm-hmm. You can say on paper, this is how it's going to work and how they might fit together. Do both guys actually want to buy into that? That's the part of it that I don't know with them. But I do, it, I do it's going like to take time. That, I do like that, unlike, let's say, the former GM in Portland, mm-hmm. Travis Schlenk actually was willing to say, and, and he gave, and I, re, I have a lot of respect for him because he gave this interview, I think around uh, maybe January of this past season on the radio. I know you're talking about, yeah, 99. Yeah, I know you're talking where about. Where he, like, they made the conference finals last year mm-hmm. unexpectedly. And so they just ran it back and extended everybody and paid everybody and thought, okay, this is our group now. And then halfway through the season, 
the GM basically realized, you know what, maybe running it, maybe, maybe this was a little bit more of a fluke that we made it that far than we realized. Mm. And maybe running it back and paying everybody was maybe not the best idea. And so now they've been able to pivot and they, you know, they moved off of Cam Reddish to kind of free up that log jam. And now they're, well, you know, they made this big move and totally changed the makeup of their team with this DeJounte Murray trade. I don't know how good they're going to be. I don't mm. think that I don't have them in the same group as like the Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, Philly, like the, the top, top tier of the East. But I think they're going to be better than they were last year when they way underperformed what the expectations were after the conference finals run. Yeah. And I mean, the reason I brought even the Hawks up in this regard is just that like, for the Bulls front office to really know what they have in Billy Donovan, to know what they have in Patrick Williams, uh-huh. it's going to require DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine to feature him more. It's going to require them giving Patrick Williams more responsibility. Like that means them giving stuff up and giving possessions up for Patrick Williams. Like the only way to figure out if he has a next level to his game, Scotty Barnes is able to figure this out because of his situation and they're able to do that. They don't have that luxury in Chicago. They have high-priced vets who are all-stars, and that's just a different game than Fred Van Fleet and company. Like That's right. a different, different thing. And it's so fascinating because they're going to have to try. The first half of next year needs to be figuring out if Patrick Williams can be someone who brings the ball up sometimes, who creates offensively, who can push it in the fast break and do yeah. stuff that, I mean, makes him – not expendable at the deadline for another vet like they have to kind of they have to see it the only way to see it is they have to get buy-in from DeRozan and Levine to be like hey we got to feature this young lottery guy and that's just that's just where it is and it means probably worse numbers it means less points a game it means that kind of sacrifice and we'll see if they're they're that kind of player um we'll end on this uh I'm curious from your perspective because I've said for the last few weeks and I I'm kind of I'm I'm okay dying on this hill where I still think Durant ends up in New Orleans. I think that's always made the most sense to me. Um the Phoenix stuff and uh what was the other preferred destination for Miami? Miami where I don't know <laughs> based on the owner's stuff and Sean Marks like it seems unlikely they're just going to find the best deal for Kevin Durant. Um, after him opting in and the contract extension and kind of what they went through this past year, doing KD a solid in that regard seems unlikely. Um, And it's also a scenario where Brandon Ingram, I think is the best case scenario for, for Brooklyn where the young guy, like I don't like it's him or it's Scotty Barnes in Toronto. Those are the two. Um, I was listening to the hoop collective who pinched that uh, in terms of the Toronto aspect today, but like, that's what I've said from the beginning where KD wants to play with multiple all-stars. Well, Zion and CJ's are two guys he would love playing with. And those are two all-stars. And you would assume that three would be enough to realistically contend the West. It would be must see TV like Kevin mm-hmm. Durant and Zion on the same team. is yeah. just, it, that's exactly what the NBA wants is a, the smallest market that people forget. New Orleans, is the smallest TV market in basketball. You put KD there you get Zion back in the fold, who's going to sign his super max um, or his max soon. Like, okay, Brandon Ingram's a really, really good player that no one watched this past year on uh, the national front, but he's an all-star player and you put him in Brooklyn and you give a lot of those defensive, maybe it's DeAndre Dyson. Like it's a couple other big names because uh, they just, they have a lot of guys and more lottery picks and that kind of thing. Ingram's a pretty good 
situation if that's where it lands. I I think that's what ultimately happens because I also think KD will talk himself in and people are like, oh, why would he go to New Orleans? Like he went to college at Texas. I mean, he the, uh, Texas is not far from uh, from New Orleans. It's obviously not uh, the Houston side. They're in Austin, but I don't know. I think if I, I'm still probably going to die on the hill that New Orleans is where Kevin Durant ends up. What do you think? Or do you think Toronto is more likely? I could see either one of those. I think both of those have the most potential to be able to offer enough stuff to get Brooklyn interested while also having enough left over once they get him mm. to be able to contend. I will say I'm kind of feel like I'm going crazy with some of this discussion about should Toronto give up Scotty Barnes and a Kevin Durant trade? And like, yeah, Scotty Barnes is awesome. And he had an awesome rookie year and he won rookie of the year. But like, what are we talking about? It's Kevin Durant. You trade for Kevin Durant and you put him with like Siakam and Van Vliet, like an OG, and like all these other, like you're probably winning a t- at least one title. And then like, what are we talking? Like, I know, I know like Scotty Barnes is really good. I think there are some guys who are like of that age and of that and are young enough. And like the age gap is young. Like if I were Cleveland, I would not give up Evan Mobley for Kevin Durant, for example, because I think he is much more of a guy that you can look at his skill set and how much better he can still get and say, this is going to be a foundational guy for the next 15 years. Scotty Barnes is really good. I don't see that as we can't give up this guy for Kevin Durant personally i would i would do it and ingram like I, I what are we talking about like i've seen new orleans fans being like who do we want to give up brandon ingram he's so much younger it's like dude it's kevin durant like yeah do it like there's like maybe five or six guys in the league that i wouldn't trade for kevin durant and well i will say in defense of toronto and toronto fans you want that like i think part of it too if you hadn't won the title with Kawhi, following right. that similar model i think you're probably more open to it but because you've already done it and then he's just gone. And then it was just kind of like this awesome. They would not trade that title for anything. But it's, Kawhi... all, it's not the same situation though, because Durant's under contract for four more years. Like it's not like you trade for him and then he's going to leave. Also the Raptors to do that Kawhi trade, they traded the guy who was like the heart and soul of their mm-hmm. team for 10 years in order to make that happen they're really more attached to this 21 year old or this 19 year old, however old Scotty Barnes is this kid that they just drafted. That's going to make them not get not, you know, that's going to be the deal breaker for them to trade for Kevin Durant. I mean, I, I know, I know full well, Toronto fans are absolutely, you know, insane about this stuff because I, you know, they, the Blazers were going pretty hard after OG. And so I had Mm -hmm. to deal with their fans in my mentions just for reporting what I had heard. I, I'm not Mm -hmm. even, as somebody who isn't like a fan and like isn't just like throwing out my own fake trades or saying what I think teams should or shouldn't do, I was just reporting what I'd heard about that the you know the Blazers being interested in OG and like the likelihood that it might happen or whatever. And I had Toronto people in my mentions like this is insane. They would never trade OG. He never wants you know he isn't unhappy with his role. What are you talking like? So I'm I, I get it, but I also feel like Kevin Durant is still. I know he's 34. He's still so good that like if you have a roster that's close enough that you add Kevin Durant and you have a realistic chance at winning a title like Toronto or like New Orleans, I think you kind of have to just go for it. Well, what I will say too is it's kind of like you went to Oregon. I don't know how invested you were in college football. Not, Um, Not really that much. Okay. Well, when you get like when those mentions, when those people like they have they're in your mentions about OG, right? They're very defensive of OG. Of course. 
they're very defensive of, of Scotty. Atlanta fans are very defensive of Trey. Dallas fans are very defensive of Luca. Uh, Cleveland during the first LeBron run were very, very defensive of LeBron. Yeah. The reason all of that is, and Kobe, like to this day, like Kobe being on one team forever. Well, Kobe's a whole other like that's a whole well. It's just thing. That's, that's the like, like the that's the ultimate version of right. that where the the Kobe stuff is just he'll always be like that transcends the Lakers. That's like a whole different thing, right? But the fandom is just there is something about Kobe was the Lakers guy and he was always there. They watched him grow. They watched him develop. They watched him, uh, not everyone, but some people watched him uh, back up Eddie Jones and gradually move right. up the ladder and become, I think it's significantly more fun to draft your own guy, yeah. high upside guy. It's like when you get a five star in college ball, that's what I was trying to like uh, get here where yeah. you have this super uber talented blue chipper who comes in the building and you're like, oh, we're at the ground floor. You want to be at the ground floor with these guys. So if you're right about Scotty Barnes, like Coach Thorpe is all in on him and super smart basketball people love this guy. And if he's a superstar, you want to be on the ground floor. Like you want to be like to build with a young star and to watch them develop. There's nothing better. Like Kevin Durant, you can win a title and we'll see what happens. But it's a three-year thing. And then it's over. And Scotty might be awesome for 12 to 15 years of all NBA type play. We don't sure. know. That I understand the hesitancy because, man, when you have your guy and you have a star and you feel like you're at the start of something special, man, you are going to put on the fan, the Uber fan binoculars and you're like, hey, this is our guy. He can be this because that that that's just so much fun as a fan. Like that is what you want. That's the reason you get into sports and the reason that college football was so popular for so long and why fans were unnerved with the portal they just love watching their guys develop. They love watching them not start immediately. And then it's like, oh, sophomore, junior. Okay, now he's ready. And now we got to watch this guy become better and better. And he's our guy. And that's just, that's a part of it, I think. I totally get that. And I totally understand. I mean, it's it's the same reason that Kevin Durant is never going to be as loved by Golden State fans as Mm -hmm. Steph, Clay, and Draymond were. Because those guys were their guys that they drafted and were there the whole time. And Durant Mm -hmm. was kind of a high, even though he was the finals MVP and was the best player on those two teams that won the title. Like he was still a hired gun. He wasn't mm. their guy. I totally get that. I just, me personally, I probably would go in the direction of pulling the trigger on that. Well, this is why fans shouldn't run the team <laughs> because you're not doing it, but it's like LeBron. It's like everywhere he's got, he can be a Laker for years. He can be a heat for years. It doesn't matter. He's still Cleveland's guy. Right. Uh, he's still like, that's ultimately going to be the the thing for him. Um, totally. Well, Sean, we have to wrap here, but uh, don't forget, folks, you can check out Sean's podcast and his writing over at rosegardenreport.beehive.com. New stuff coming out every day. A lot of stuff coming out tomorrow with Summer League and a Uh uh, big press conference. Um, Follow you on Twitter at Hypekin. Anything else you want to plug before we wrap up here today? That's about it right now. I'm still building this thing, getting it off the ground. Support so far has been great. If people want to go sign up, I would greatly appreciate that. And uh, yeah. There you go. Sean, thank you so much for reconnecting. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll check back in again soon. That's good to talk to you, Chase. All right, y'all. That'll do it for part one here on a Thursday here on the Chase Must Podcast and the Blue Wire Pod Network. Thank you guys for checking out part one, part two with Army head coach Jeff Monken coming up right after this. So stick around and check that out uh, however and whenever you are listening. Uh, back to back here uh, on this three-part edition of the Thursday July 7th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Must Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
you know what to do. Make sure you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if that is indeed how you listen. Make sure you're subscribed and checking us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Tweet at me at Chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. All right, Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.